Hey Dan, do do, do we need a, a a theme song or is or is or is this it? That that is pretty much it. Like I don't know, unless someone wants to compose or something, you know, please send them along. But otherwise, yeah, it's cracking open a can. What you got there, Gav? To this week, I have Lake of Bays Red Ale. I was just recently in uh, staying right near Algonquin Park, doing some some cycling. And I went past the the actual brewery itself in Baysville, which is a tiny town. Uh, but they also have a a brew house restaurant and a couple other places, including Huntsville. So on our way out, we stopped in Huntsville, and I got a a few. And this is the one red ale that I got. Look at that pour this time, Dan. Yeah, are you gonna have yeah, that smart ass comment now? No, that is. Uh, I'm very very pleasantly surprised. I was due. I was due. What do you have this evening? <laughs> well, I'm going to give you some uh, saddening and shocking news. Um, no. I'm off the I'm off the source for a month. But it's not January. I know. I, I don't. I don't play by the rules, Gav. Come on. Dry yeah, October just... <laughs> has no role to it as we're recording this in October. Sober October sounds all right, doesn't it? Oh uh, yeah. Oh, some rhymes. So, okay. so, so honestly, like when I was away in Quebec uh, last week, I already went for it on the beers because you know a lot of uh, you know Quebecois breweries. Um, so yeah, this is, if you can hear it on the audio, this is me twisting my bottle of water. So I'll be uh, sober as a judge for this one. And, yeah. and and but I'll point out it's a reusable water bottle, so you've obviously used tap water. So how environmentally friendly for you? Kudos. Yeah, we do not kill the world on this podcast. I hate bottled water. Can't stand it. It annoys me so much, and yeah, don't get me into it. It just—it's so pointless. With that in mind, I can't segue from that into anything. Um, so this this episode of Newspapers on Seats, we're actually going to a place where, well, technically we could travel if we were so inclined uh, during the in the midst of this pandemic, which. We will look back on one year and go, oh yeah, remember the pandemic? But anyway, Montreal, which uh, you and I both have plenty of of experience with. Montreal, I believe you told me, was your, your first experience with Canada. Yeah, it was, um, you know, me and my friend uh, Ross from back home. We were saving up to go to Canada for a while. We initially planned to travel through the Americas. And I kind of wanted to go to Montreal first because I was just fascinated by how you know, it was a, you know, it was a, it was a predominantly English-speaking country, but you know, Quebec was French, and I just thought from afar that is absolutely fascinating. And also, I was a fan of like a lot of music from there, like obviously, Arcade Fire, the biggest export from there probably ever. But I was also into you know Wolf Parade, Islands, Unicorns, and you know more recently Soons, and um, so I was kind of drawn to that area. It seemed like kind of like a, a culturally kind of interesting place. So. Um, yeah, it was a f- first stop off, uh, Montreal. I didn't last long because I realised that being very, very unilingual, if that's the right word, not being able to, you know, being a being a true Englishman and not being rubbish at every single other language, um, I knew that wasn't really going to fly over there. So I came to Toronto and uh, started selling watches instead. Well, I mean, in Montreal, if there's anywhere in Quebec where you could sort of get by as a unilingual Anglophone, it is it is Quebec. Although you're right. It uh, It is easier to have French. It's always funny when you go into a store, and I'm someone who does speak French, and when you go into a store in Montreal and, you know, you say bonjour and they reply, and you can each tell you're an Anglophone, and it's like, oh, 
Okay, and then you just start speaking in English to each other. It's it's always a I don't know where you can get that anywhere else in the world other than Montreal or maybe other parts of Quebec. What I found surprising when I was there with my mate is that I think we were in the west end of the city and everyone around us was speaking English. And I remember it was almost like we walked through, like through across one road in the centre and then suddenly everybody was speaking French. And like, you know, as two lads from Shrewsbury um, where... It's yeah, not very diverse in the slightest and sadly very conservative. <laughs> um, it was a, a real eye-opener and such a, like, a, you know, it just felt so, like such a special place to be there like in the first day and just you know, have such a unique experience like that. You know, obviously, being in Canada now for, well, coming up on 10 years next year, which, wow, that's mad. Um, you know, it, it doesn't seem so unique and incredible now, but I remember at the time just being so excited to have that experience of just going from, you know, one block being French and one block being English. And uh, you've obviously been back since, and, I, and at heart, we, this is a, you know, a travel kind of, but travel and soccer show. Uh, now, you, you, you mentioned uh, your first experience with Canada was, was in Montreal. Now, what, uh, what's your soccer experience with it? Well, I got like a a few. Well, like I kind of I'll start like when I was there for the first time because like I didn't have a chance to watch any football when I was there for the first time, which just really annoyed me. I was actually there during the um, the NHL playoffs, and um, I remember getting there and like every single car had a Montreal Canadiens flag or sticker or something like that, and. The only time I'd ever remembered seeing anything like that was uh, in St. Helens, which is a not particularly picturesque town between Liverpool and Manchester, where everybody there supports the local rugby league team. And it reminded me of that, where the whole town was absolutely Canadians mad. Um, and then, you know, I, we, we, me and my friend, we ended up going to, uh, you know, Peel Pub, uh, which I know is a popular haunt, and it's where we could get some affordable drinks. We went to uh, McGill University Union and actually watched some of the uh, the hockey there and got really, really into it. Um, but we didn't actually get to watch football there until we actually uh, hopped on a megabus uh, back from Toronto to go into Montreal. And we actually went to go and watch... Um, at the Saputo Stadium in Montreal before it got renoed, we actually went to go and watch the uh, Montreal Impact versus New York Red Bulls. And it was when um, the Montreal Impact weren't actually an MLS team yet. It was kind of like a, um, a celebration game to them you know, being inducted into the, uh, into the MLS the following season, um, into them being having a renovation. So you know, we, we hopped on the Megabus and went over there. And it was kind of cool, you know, like there was um, some, you know, Thierry Henry was there, Rafa Marquez, Drain de Rosario, Carl Robinson, uh, Wayne Rooney's brother John Rooney uh, played, who's a bit of a non-league stalwart <laughs> nowadays. Um, is it Ali Gerber or Ali Gerber he was playing? Um, uh, yeah, that's, 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 uh, you're opening up a can of worms there. I believe it was you sort of with the, with the French, you would say Ali Gerber. Uh, so oh, so I, was, Ali, I, was wrong on, I was wrong on both counts there. Wrong yeah. on both counts. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so, but like... So we went, but, we, but you know, you see all these players and you, you might think still you're absolutely mad for hopping on a megabus to go that far, but it's not what we travelled for, really. We went there to go and watch um, Luke Rogers play, who was a bit of a Shrewsbury Town hero. Um, really had a knack when he was playing for Shrewsbury of, like, basically flicking a long ball on with the outside of his foot and just sprinting after it and just you know, out-sprinting all the fat defenders in the lower leagues for Shrewsbury. And uh, somehow he 
started to forge a career playing alongside Thierry Henry, which was absolutely incredible. And like to see, you know, to have this, you know, the opportunity to see, you know, an extra as we play a play along Henry, we couldn't, we couldn't pass it off. So we jumped on a bus and, you know, we went there and I, I took my 2004 conference playoff final flag from when Cherise would beat older shot on penalties at Stokes <laughs> Britannia Stadium. Uh, we were really, really excited. Um, so we were, we were outside the ground before kickoff um, just to see the players go in. And, you know, we saw Thierry on repass, Rafa Marquez go past. There was this, uh, you know, fully fully grown male with, uh, it looked like, you know, the, you know, when you have a VHS tape, you get like the inner picture, you slip it out, you know, where underneath the plastic bit. He had that like of a Barcelona video and he was getting them to sign it. And I kind of thought, you know, grow up. But <laughs> like uh, we, we, we saw the players go past and uh, we saw Luke Rogers wasn't there. Um, so then we so then we went inside the ground, we watched the warm ups and we saw Luke Rogers wasn't there. And then the lineups were read out, and he wasn't even in the squad. Oh, no. And they, so basically, they basically they uh, they they rested him because he was playing so well. Was my understanding? They, they, like he was doing really well for Red Bulls at the time. So he travelled all that way to watch Luke Rogers, and he wasn't there. So, and in the end, you know, we're there, stood in the crowd wearing Shrewsbury Town shirts, looking like complete losers. And uh, my 2004 Conference Playoff final flag also has a, uh, a little bit of pigeon poo on it from that little escapade. So uh, I'll, I'll never forget my trip to that game. Everyone's there so excited to see Thierry Henry and Rafa Marquez. And you were the only two guys who were disappointed there because some lower league guy who only you would know <laughs> wasn't even there. <laughs> it, it was very unfortunate. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but it was it was a it was a de- it was a decent game. I mean, Montreal won one nil. Um, I think uh, Ali Gilbert, um <laughs> scored the nice. uh, scored the goal. Uh, Thierry Henry had one chalked off, but yeah, it was it was a it was a really fun trip despite not being able to see our hero Luke Rogers. Um, did you get to go? <laughs> that that, that uh, sounded difficult for you to say. Our hero Luke Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> did you um did you have any uh, experiences of the Stad Saputo at any stage? I expect you've probably been there a few times, haven't you? <laughs> well, here's the thing. I've been there once, and it was for oh. a Canada game uh, against Honduras. Uh, it was uh, it was a friendly. I was still uh, doing TV radio. Uh, reporting in Fort St. John, British Columbia, way up in Northeast BC. And um, it was, yeah, it was in the latter half of 2010. And uh, yeah, Canada played Peru in Toronto and then went played Honduras in Montreal. And uh, yeah, I just had some time off and I had covered really one of my first real kind of travel times covering the Canadian program was to Argentina right before I moved to Fort St. John. And, uh, um, yeah, so this one was, was sort of, you know, I, I wanted to sort of stay somewhat familiar to some of the people there because I'd sort of wanted to continue covering the, the program. And of course I ended up, you know, doing that for quite a while, but it was weird to, to fly all the way from, you know, a couple flights, Fort St. John to, uh, getting into Montreal eventually and, and, and covering this game. And it was memorable mostly because it was absolutely pouring down rain in the second half with Canada leading. And they brought, you know, there was lightning, so they brought players off the field. And before they did that, I remember Stephen Hart uh, standing on the sidelines, just, 
you know, unmoved, unflappable, drenched. His shirt is absolutely soaked from the rain, but he was just standing there like it was any other, um, you know, any other game in, that in, in dry conditions. So uh, he he changed after the game and he came in for the the post match uh, press conference. Um, in a changed shirt, so that was that was a good thing. But it was th- that that's my only time, and I, just like you, it was pre-renovation. I still haven't been back there since. Well, I, except for you know games at at the Big O. I, I appreciate Stephen Hart's dedication to not being a Wally with a brolly like Steve McLaren famously was when uh, England failed to qualify for Euro two thousand eight. So uh, good on Stephen Hart there. Nice bloke. I know we both spoken to him before as well. Right next door, of course, to the uh, Saputo Stadium is is the Big O. Uh, have you have you ever seen any soccer there? Yeah, yeah. I think I've been just once. I mean, I, I remember the first time I was in Montreal. I actually went on a tour around the stadium. Um, I don't know why I do this because I don't like stadium tours. I just find them really boring. Um, I don't know why. I, I like. I love traveling. I love seeing grounds, but. For me, if the fans aren't there, it's just really dull. Um, really, so, I, I love no. quiet, quiet, empty stadiums. There's something, something nice about it. Anyway, sorry, you were saying. No, I, I like, I like it when I'm like, you know, working at a stadium. You know, if I'm, I'm often one of the last there uh, working, and you know, I love the, you know, just when it's completely empty and still. But I don't know, like, I don't really get excited about seeing trophies and stuff like that and old shirts. It just doesn't interest me in the slightest. But they don't obviously have any of that really to look at. At the uh, at the big O as they call it, so um, you know, and they had this like um, giant scoreboard, and I remember him you know, the the tour man pointed out and just saying like, this hasn't worked for like a few a couple of decades, like it was just a, like he said, oh yeah, this is like the, one of the biggest scoreboards in the world, oh yeah, it hasn't worked for a while, you know, it's just like, and and obvious and obviously that was one of the big things with this stadium, wasn't it? It was just um, it was just a massive, uh, it's just a, a bit pricey, wasn't it, Gav? A bit, yeah. I think it ended up being over a billion dollars for the 76 Olympics. Wasn't done by the time the Olympics happened. They had the big angled tower, which is quite an architectural... Yeah, I like that. catches the eye. Uh, But, I mean, there was supposed to be a retractable roof that never really worked. Um, And then, you know, it's a giant concrete bowl way out of downtown. And so... Um, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, look, I know how ugly that stadium is, you know, from a, you know, if you're not, unless you're a fan of concrete, um, but (laughs) man, uh, so much of my childhood is attached to that stadium. I, you know, I, I can walk in there and point stuff out, which is, uh, man, it's, it's just something that that if it ever goes, and I assume it will go at some point, um, you know, it's it'll, it'll be a sad day. Well, it's kind of a bit of history as well, isn't it? Because I, I understand it's called the Big O, and I was told this when I was in Montreal because of it, you know, its shape or because it represented the Olympics, but also to represent the amount of zeros at the cost of the project. Um, <laughs> yes, the so Big I, O, I think O-W-E. Yeah, yeah, so... Uh, it it was um, yeah I think it's a bit of Canadian history and it will be a shame when it goes but I I remember the I think I've been to one game there I certainly remember one of them and it was uh, going to watch Toronto FC play away against Montreal Impact they played uh, two or three games in the Olympic Stadium and uh, I went to a 
you know, 2-1 loss for TFC, naturally. And I just remember feeling, you know, it was a really good away support for Toronto FC. So it was, a, it was a great, you know, great fun, uh, lively. But I just remember feeling very, very far away from the action. Yeah. Um, it was actually like, um, probably for, you know, following Toronto FC, it's probably some of the you know, most fun times I've had because they had a, like a really weird team. Like they had like Darren O'Day was a best defender. Eckersley <laughs> was at fullback. He was good fun. Dunfield was there, um, John Bostock, Reggie Lamb and Hogan Ephraim and Robert Earnshaw, like all these players that come over from uh, from the EFL and you know, I really enjoyed watching TFC at that time but yeah, as I said, naturally um, they lost and I think there was a bit of an Ashton Morgan um, error in all of that as well. Oh dear, yeah, my I have been to the big O, I have actually been to a TFC Montreal game and that was uh, the, the playoff year when Toronto first reached the MLS Cup final when it was in that incredible home and home series between the Impact and TFC. Oh, I was at the, the, uh, the, the, was the Toronto like it was amazing. The, well, yeah, and in the first game, the lines were painted wrong, so there was the delay as we no. sort of waited that <laughs> yeah. up. Um, I took, uh, yeah, I took the train up, and uh, it was snowing and really quite heavily in some places, and that was my. Uh, yeah, that was an experience with that. But that was actually my second time there. My first time was uh, 2014 during the Under-20 Women's World Cup. And I was pl- uh, I was working for Canada Soccer at the time. And here we go. Uh, Montreal Expos uh, in 2014. Uh, it, it was, of course, the 20th anniversary of the 1994 Major League Baseball strike, which was the beginning of the end, really, for the Expos, the 74-40 and 40 team that uh, was essentially blown up in a fire sale, traded away for spare parts the following year. But we were there uh, on the eve of a game against North Korea. Um, the day Canada had their training on the stadium field was the 20th anniversary of the strike date. And I sort of did a little research and... Um, had the season gone on in 94 the expos were due to return home to start a homestand and so it was sort of weird in my own scatterbrained kind of way um thinking 20 years ago today the expos first place expos would have returned home instead there's nothing here essentially so i i had the foresight i packed in advance knowing what was going to happen um i packed a couple of gloves with a baseball and my expos hat and our uh, team liaison officer, um, I, I walked up to him like, can you, do you throw the baseball around? She went, yeah, of course. She, she played, you know, some, some softball in her day. And so when, uh, when they were sort of warming up, I'm like, here, tossed her the glove. And we played catch on the field. I got a few pictures with me in my Expos hat. And I'm not one who likes to be in, in still photos. Um, but that means a lot sort of. Uh, being on the field of the big o in my expos hat playing catch and that was my first time for uh uh for a soccer game anyway there after many 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 times um you know watching watching baseball there no i'm glad you managed to have that memory can you um remind me about the uh, incorrectly painted lines that were in that game, in the playoff game, just to wind it back a little bit. Because I, I, remember, I remember it happening, and I remember there being a delay to kick off because they painted lane, li- lines wrong on the pitch. But what exactly did they get wrong? I can't, I can't remember. It was one or both of the 18-yard boxes, which were not 
were not the appropriate size. And so we're sitting there and we're sort of going, why is, why is this happening? What's going on? And then we see the crew starting to come out. They're looking at the lines and it's like, what in God's name is going on? Cause this was, you know, showtime. This was on TSN, two Canadian teams, pretty decisive moment in the MLS cup playoffs. And if you're the, you know, a fan who's maybe turning on the game, you're you're seeing this happening, and it's just, it was just sort of the worst possible start you could have, you know, called for. That the lines were painted wrong, and so they had to not only paint new white lines, but they also had to cover up the first one. So um, I'm not sure how they ended up covering up the white lines, whether it was with green spray paint or what. But it took a good little while to get things sorted out to have the regulation sized you know, penalty areas put in place. And, you know, by the time, you know, it got going, Montreal soars out of the gate and, you know, things look bad for Toronto FC. And then they came back and made a game of it. And, uh, you know, it was really all to play for in the second leg. So it was, yeah, it was wild. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the MLS playoffs have got uh, renowned for this. I mean, obviously, if if the lines aren't painted correctly, you have to watch the uh, game through baseball foul netting or something like that. absolutely ridiculous I mean I'd quite like you to kind of rabbit on about baseball really I mean you said you spent a lot of your childhood in that stadium Um, you know so what are your memories of the stadium was it good to watch baseball in was it a good atmosphere did the Expos have enough fans to have a team well they did once upon a time where you mentioned you know, how obsessed people were with the Canadians. And there was a time in the 80s where, where the Expos were it, ahead of the Canadians. They were the, the hottest ticket in town with guys like Tim Raines and Andre Dawson, Gary Carter, Steve Rogers. Um, 94 was actually my first time at an Expos game. We had moved back from the West Coast to Ottawa. We were visiting my dad's family there. My uncle took us to a game. And uh, it was, I'll never forget, it was guaranteed win night, which I don't think exists in any stadium anywhere in the world anymore. And so if the Expos lost, you got a free ticket for equal or lesser value for the next two weeks. They lost. And uh, it was funny because the story that I was told, my cousin and my uncle brought us back and uh, he told uh, my, my parents, I was eight <laughs> and he goes yeah gavin knows all these stories about all these players and he knows the numbers and all this and you know i think that was sort of <laughs> the beginning of, of of something anyway uh we go back the next night and uh this they're playing the colorado rockies and thanks to this i will rarely leave a game early or ever if i'm emotionally invested because the expos were losing my dad goes we got to get to the car to drive back to ottawa and it was eighth inning something like that we get back to the car and the expos had tied it and then larry walker the canadian now going to the hall of fame won it with a walk-off home run in the 10th inning and i'm eight years old and i swear i remember looking at him going we're never leaving early again um you know it's things <laughs> like that um you know 96 um we were there for a game and it was the night of the four by 100 meter men's relay from the Atlanta Olympics and it was you know 25,000 some odd fans there um you know and they put that relay up on the screen and the way I remember it it's during the Canadian anthem that you know Donovan Bailey runs down the home stretch his arm in the air and they didn't have the commentary on but you know I'll never forget the legendary Don Whitman No, oh, if you're a Canadian you have to love Saturday nights in Georgia uh but anyway 
people were going ballistic. And uh, it was actually a night where Raël Cormier, a Canadian pitcher from New Brunswick, went out, pitched the game of his life, and the Expos won. And, you know, it was so many memories like that. You know, one time we won a contest where I won my grandmother essentially a month-long Metro Pass because I saw the guy with the camera that they put us up on the big screen. And, you know, I knew what they were doing because I'd listened to all the games on the radio. So, you know, I grew up with it. And then in 2014... When the Jays started playing spring training games there, again, this ties into soccer too, where I was at the under-17 Women's World Cup with Canada, and uh, they were in a knockout round game against Venezuela. And, you know, obviously if Canada won, I would have stuck around and, and we would have continued on in the tournament. But if they lost, I had tickets to the Jays and the Mets in Montreal. And, uh, you know, Canada lost, and so I... You know, it was okay for me because I flew to Montreal and we saw this, you know, it was the first games, you know, in uh, of baseball in Montreal in, in decades. And I remember walking into that stadium, seeing it set up for baseball and I, I couldn't, I couldn't put words together. It was, uh, man, it was, it was special. It was, it was a childhood that, that came back. And so, you know, whenever I'm in there, be it for, for soccer or for whatever reason, um, yeah, that, that place carries a, a very, very special place in my heart. No, I, I, you know, I really feel for you, Gavin. I feel, I hear the emotion in your voice as well. I mean, you know, I was, I felt devastated when City moved from main road, but at least I still have my team. Um, and it's something I'll never, uh, it's something I'll never understand about North American sports. I mean, I got behind the save the crew movement, uh, you no know, Columbus crew in MLS when that was, uh, looked like it was going to happen and wrote, wrote lots of stories like that about that for work, because I just think it's, uh, I, I, I'm not a fan of this franchise stuff. Yeah. I mean, like ultimately it doesn't matter what the nickname is, you know, it's about the city. You know, when I see the, you know, the Raiders playing on NFL on TV, I'm just like, well, you know, it's, it's a completely different team. They shouldn't be allowed that name. That team represented Oakland. They're nothing to do. Like, it, I don't know. I, it, I can't get it in my head. Like, teams should represent a place. They shouldn't represent, you know, a, a wealthy benefactor, in my yeah. opinion. But, uh, you know, rant, rant over. Um, you know, I, well, I, well, no, I've I'll, actually... I'll, I'll jump in on that, too. And, I mean, it took another, you know, 10 years for the Expos to die. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, when, when the Nationals won the World Series, I you know, didn't mean a thing. I've been to a game in Washington, and, um, you know, I wear my Expo stuff. And people people know I had a chat with a few people, and they have the, the retired Expo's numbers behind home plate. But it's not, you know, it's it's not. It's it, a lot of me, you know, I'm, I'm cynical towards pro sports. I see the money being thrown around, and I, I can't relate to these people. And, you know, it just... It, it's some it's a huge stumbling block for me and um you know it took 10 years for the expos to go and i'll never forget the what 2004 i was back on the west coast at the university of victoria still not legal drinking age and i stood outside the the campus pub and the uh the news conference is on the screen where they're announcing that's it and i just remember standing there just you knew it was coming but it uh i i I just couldn't stop. I couldn't look away. And I had an Expos hat on too. And, um, yeah. And, and I mean, a lot of, a lot of my cynicism comes from that to this day. So, um, yeah, but, uh, 
the, the, it's so weird how uh, giant concrete overpriced monstrosity um, carries such a huge emotional attachment. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, this is why you know stadiums can be such absolute special places, and you know, just to, to you know cap off the rants as well. I mean, I think the it's probably why we're attracted to kind of lower league and more obscure places because of the money at the top of the professional game, and I think uh, kind of like something that symbolises the problem with a lot of professional sport is that you know in vast majorities of North American leagues, when a team wins, the trophy is first handed to the owner of that team. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I think that's obscene because the fans don't want to see that. The fans want to yeah. see their hero holding that trophy, and yeah, uh, that's just something I'll, I'll just never ever understand. Um, yeah. No, as for oh, the O, I mean, I I've actually been to there to go and watch baseball myself. Um, I went the following year, uh, saw the Blue Jays. I think they were, they were playing the um, the Reds. I think um, and. I was really surprised, you know, especially after watching Toronto FC there and feeling miles away from the action, very surprised by how well that stadium translated into a baseball diamond. Um, I thought it would be awful because a lot of people have liked to, um, you know, shit on that stadium. Um, But I actually thought, um, you know, a diamond fit in beautifully there, felt very close to the action. I had to walk around a concourse and stuff, and it just seemed like it felt like a baseball stadium. It just, it had that feeling for it for me. And, uh, you know, it was... wonderful atmosphere i went to the second day and i think there were over fifty thousand people there um almost a hundred thousand and over the two days collectively yeah. um yeah stand innovation for russell martin um although i thought he was called russell martin but then when i went to montreal i realized he's called russell martin <laughs> so uh, that was, that was a, but although he was uh, toronto born and montreal raised i believe yeah. um so no i just really surprised by how how nice and almost steeped in history it felt when I never really knew much about what happened before there. Yeah. Well, I mean, the stadium itself, even when, like, there were a lot of years where there were no fans. And, I mean, especially after 94, the writing was on the wall. Um, when made, when they were tried to, Major League Baseball tried to contract them out of existence with the Minnesota Twins. Um, and then that fought, failed. And so, you know, through underhanded ways jeffrey loria the uh the the owner much derided owner bought the florida marlins john henry sold the marlins and bought the red Sox. and major league baseball bought the expos and it lasted a few years there's no reason for people to go but when when people did go even if it was a small crowd with that concrete echo chamber you could make a lot of noise and those seats that you could bang uh they they were the loudest things there and so um yeah so many and that's the thing about montreal is that it is a you know i'd say it's a sports city it's it's a big event city in many ways you know apart from the canadians these days and and you know the impact when they're doing well montreal will go out and support um you know, big sporting events. And I mean, they have, you know, most of Canada's short track speed skating team comes out of Quebec. They train in Montreal. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the pro tour of world cycling, there are annual events in Quebec and Montreal. Um, and so Montreal, you know, it has this kind of Euro vibe to it. Um, but the people who do follow sports in Quebec and in Montreal are, are, are very passionate and it's uh it's just a fun place to go to on many levels sports culture you know with the comedy festival which I still haven't been to you know food <laughs> you name it it's a it's a great city 
Yeah, I feel like it's just a city where, you know, as I say, I was kind of, you know, pushed there by the kind of, you know, find it quite culturally interesting. And I think they're just a city who really promote and encourage, like, individuals trying to push themselves creatively and stuff like that. I mean, like, as I said, the music scene there has been fantastic in the past. Um, you know, to see their sporting heroes, they really cheer that on. As you said, they're a big event at City. They like going out, they like promoting and enjoying things and I really I really enjoy Montreal I'll always have a soft spot for it and I you know love going to visit it whenever I have the opportunity really um you mentioned um food um I actually went I was popping through Ottawa the other day and uh, I stopped off to go and get some uh, Montreal style bagels from uh, Kettleman's um because my first experience oh Kettleman's in Ottawa is a good bagel place that's a great really really good place good spot and so and like because I think I had my first Montreal bagel. Must have been when I went to go and watch TFC two thousand thirteen at uh, Saint Viateur Bagel, which Saint I Viettel, believe is very yeah. famous. Yeah, and it's it's fantastic to see in there, like a proper oven, so many bagels. Um, just the Montreal bagels with the bigger hole, the smaller things. This the natural sweetness to them with the honey flavored water. The this, you know, I I kind of feel that New York is famous for hot dogs and bagels, but I feel that Toronto beats them at the former and Montreal beats them at the latter, personally. Yeah. I, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm always going to, uh, you know, back a Montreal back a Montreal bagel. And, I mean, then there's, uh, yeah, there's bagels in Montreal. You have your poutine. And it's always so weird how, you know, in Canada we call poutine Canadian food. And it, it's Quebecois. I mean, it's from Quebec. It's it's not a pan-Canadian food when it originates in one place. And I will, I will back that until the end of time um you know and then there's then there's then there's your smoked meat sandwiches you got your one oh, of so is sort of spread out schwartz's was a big one um you know rubens is always sort of my go-to on saint catherine street it's it's it, it's got the nice kind of lighting it, it it's kind of like a classy night out at rubens and then there's sort of plates on the wall signed by some big names and um uh, but oh god i mean you can you can eat to your heart's content there. Yeah, I've had something wonderful, wonderful smoked meat there. It's a, it's a great city. There's a lot to do there. I actually went there for the um, Ashaga Music Festival as well in uh, 2015. And um, a really, really, really fun fun festival. Um, I'd probably say the best bands I saw were, uh, well, Caribou, just incredible. Um, it was so good live. Weezer were excellent, actually. Like, he brought his um, two daughters on stage, the lead singer, and one of them, she was playing the keyboard and was doing pretty well, and then the other one was quite a bit younger, and she was just pretending to play a blow-up guitar. And it was just a really good, uh, fun atmosphere. And, uh, you know, another, other highlights from that fest were, you know, FKA Twigs, uh, The Kills, and... Uh, Christine and the Queens were you know, a real surprise that I've really enjoyed them and you know again just the music culture plenty of Montreal bands around that um, I, you know, just such an, an enthusiastic crowd um, for the most part not irritating you can get a lot of irritating people at festivals but for the most part a really really enjoyable time with people who just absolutely love the music yeah and i mean well you mentioned yeah that that music i mean my uh well one of my aunts and her family they lived in montreal and they've since moved west but you know sam roberts was a neighbor of theirs um oh yeah my dad grew up in the 
I think he grew up in the West Island and uh, Gino Vanelli didn't live far away. Gino of, of black cars fame. Um, and then, I mean, anywhere, if you go to, you know, in France, um, uh, the, the Canadian music that people know are essentially Celine Dion um, and a guy named Garou, which you go to Canada and I had never heard of him until some guy in French was just like, yeah, we listen to Garou. And I'm like, you know great i don't know who that is um and then you know i've never heard, i've never heard of gahu no well gahu is well in french lou gahu is werewolf so uh i never even did really research that name but um anyway it's just one of those guys who you know i'm big in france but you know not in his own home country although prove me wrong if we have any quebec listeners <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've interviewed like a couple of bands from uh, from Montreal in the past, and it just seems like, um, you know, for a decent sized city, it seems like a good solid community where you know the bands look out for each other. They they watch each other's groups. They you know one one member from another band might help another band. You know, it might be, might produce their album even, and it it just seems like a really good tight knit community. And you know, playing in you know band and in a band for a brief time in Toronto, which you know which was a lot of fun. I would say that from my brief experience, that community it does not exist in Toronto at all. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, uh, you know, there's all the more reason. I mean, if we, if we visited right now, I know we would, uh, it, it wouldn't be the same, but you and I both have still a reason at least to go back. And that's to see Saputo stadium in its completed renovated form, because I still haven't seen it yet since it's uh, been added for MLS. Maybe in the future we could uh, record a podcast from the seats of the stadium. Hey, wouldn't that be something? The, the new seats, not nice. the old ones. Just find the area. This didn't exist last time we were here. Dan, what do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I think we can broadcast that to all 12 of our listeners. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> um, I mean, one thing, I'll ask an ignorant question um, because my knowledge of like Canadian history and politics isn't the best. Um um, how serious have have like Quebec's efforts to separate from the rest of Canada been in the past? Well, in the past, it's much more strong. They were much more stronger than they are now. Uh, you know, the '95 referendum, we came this close, this close. I mean, I think it was like fifty point six to forty nine point four percent. You know, staying versus going. And there was one referendum before, which I don't think was as close, but this time, man, oh man, we, uh, we came a hair's breadth away and I'll, I'll never forget that either because, uh, 95, we were still living in Ottawa and we were off school and there was this big, big unity rally in Montreal and people from all I you know I'm not sure I'm guessing people from all across the country came but we went from from Ottawa where there were buses upon buses upon buses going and I went with my dad and um what I'll remember is all the the crappy school buses driving out of the parking lot this nice coach bus pulls up and goes yeah they got two seats and my dad and I go and it was full of you know these senior citizens from a from a place called the Pontiac which is I think more anglophone but it's just on the the Quebec side of the Ottawa River and you know they young kid on board they're you know they tossing me candy and I got you know like a box of smarties and whatever anyway but you know being ground level when I was nine um you know it was crazy walking around and I remember hearing the speeches not really paying attention but um 
And then as we were leaving to head back to the bus, there are people coming back, and I'll remember them forever because we're walking down the hill to our bus. People are coming back the other way, and they go, where's everybody going? We just got here, and the rally had wrapped up. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, I mean, it it came very close. And, um, you know, so 1995, this is, you know, we're uh, 25. But 95, 05, 15, yeah, 25 years ago. And, um, yeah, I mean, but there's been, you know, there have been issues with, you know, the October crisis where the FLQ, the Front de la Libération de Québec, they, you know, kidnapped a couple people. They killed one notoriously. Um, That was in the 80s, and Pierre Trudeau's, you know, after imposing the War Measures Act, uh, you know, you, you know, his famous Just Watch Me, and um, yeah, it's it's been a dicey history, but from the sort of the looks of things, it's you know the generation of of separatists has sort of aged out, and and a lot of the the younger people they you know they found you know from my, what I've seen they found a role within Canada, and um, you know it's sort of at a very low simmer, if anything, right now. So the, the Pauci Québécois, the Bloc Québécois are still there, but they're, I think they're more resigned these days to just sort of, you know, looking out for Quebec and not so much separation. Yeah, well, you know, Canada losing Quebec wouldn't just, uh, you know, drop them a couple of places down a medals table at the Winter Olympics. Oh, it would 100%. Just be, yeah, you drop them loads. And then, but just also, you know, what an absolute cultural fascinating hole it would leave in you know Canada's identity if Quebec left it would be devastating if that went yeah and, and I think there was a time where a lot of people in a lot of the province did sort of have a sort of you know eh, if they want to go let them go kind of attitude but yeah the you know I've always been you know proud of having that part of our fabric the way it is and just you know the way you know the, the two you know the English and French getting along. Of course, we still have plenty of issues with with how we treat our First Nations. But um, yeah, I mean it's an ideal of people with different backgrounds getting along, and it's it's a very important part of Canada's identity too. And if that went, um, there there'd be issues. There'd be problems. Yeah. So our our message then probably to. Uh maybe to close off this podcast is Quebec please stick around because we absolutely love you you lot are fascinating <laughs> your smoked meat's amazing your bagels are incredible and and we claim most you know, of I, your food as all of our own yeah yeah we promise we like me and Gab personally won't do that okay so stick around right <laughs> like we we, we I, I adore Montreal and the rest of Quebec that I've seen and I, I can't wait to one day go and visit uh, Quebec City I think that's uh, going to be high on my list oh you have to yeah, you you have to, and, and maybe one day there will be a Canadian Premier League team upon which we can do a an episode of this. Yes, there we go. That's much more interesting than <laughs> st- you know, sitting in Stad Saputo. Let's let's go Quebec. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Uh, now that we're both back at home, we'll I'm sure be lining up something else in the very near future. But that is episode number I don't remember which one of Newspapers on Seats. And uh, yeah, whenever you can. Montreal, both of us on the thumbs up list. So until next time, I'll try to find a different beer to to drink while Dan enjoys his water. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye.